This is Erased. I'm Colette Bauer-Zinn. And this is Lisa Johnson. Two Black moms bonded by bluntness, tenacity, and an unwavering commitment to creating communities of support. Every Thursday, we're exploring where the intersections of education, race, and culture collide, dissecting interracial issues to help you navigate and thrive, despite being marginalized. Welcome to another episode of Erased. I am your host, Lisa Johnson, here with my fabulous co-host, Colette Bowers in. And we're happy to have you back yet again for another informative week. We are we're doing some damage here. I'm getting some positive feedback from everything we're doing, some right? Some good damage. Right, good trouble. Good, good. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, um cats out of the bag. Had a big kind of announcement a week ago. Yes. How are we feeling? Feeling good. Yeah. Getting a lot of positive feedback, having some great meetings with potential partner schools and ready to rock. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Um, well, as we often talk about, there is more than enough to go around for everyone and there is more than enough of a need for what you are about to do. Um, and it's going to so significantly make a difference. So I'm so excited for you. And with that, we are going to dive into our topic for today. Cultural appropriation. Let's get at it. Coming out of Associate Professor Jessica A. Krug, who was Professor of African and Latin American Studies, says that despite being a white Jewish woman raised in suburban Kansas City, she portrayed herself as having Black and Latina heritage. Ultimately, and I quote from CNN, she apologized for what she calls her continued appropriation of a Black Caribbean identity, saying she was wrong, unethical, immoral, anti-Black, and colonial. Pair her with our good old friend Rachel Dolezal, who passed as Black while teaching Africana Studies at Eastern Washington U and headed her local chapter of the NAACP. Although being a white woman, and here we are. Let's talk about cultural appropriation here today. We have uh, an amazing guest, Stephen Cleveland. Stephen the Prof Cleveland, who's an activist, filmmaker, and professor of Black Studies at Cal State East Bay. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. The Prof. What's that about, the Prof? So the Prof is very connected to my Bay Area roots. So I grew up up a big fan of Tupac, and actually as a youth... (sighs) I like spent time in Bay Area hanging out with the Digital Underground. It was a very cool oh, sort of experience. Oh, uh, first project I ever worked on in film was uh, California Love. So for me, I'm super like kept coming back in those circles, right? And Thug Life really was sort of it was sort of really important when I was growing up. And the idea of Thug Life was sort of making the best out of the bad situation, right? And for me, as a person who was educated and fortunate to have a community that supported it, when I say that, I mean like boys on the block who made sure that nobody messed with me because they knew I was the homeboy who was going to school. Uh, And so uh, I I sort of like took that for my own and and, and applied it to the scholarly space, right? And the idea of the prof life sort of emerged. Uh And so I live the prof life, which is about... Okay, any nod to Tupac, first of all. (laughs) Okay, you are okay in my book. Or Digital Um, Underground. Right. But talk about a man like ahead of his time. Um, (laughs) So a question we always like to start off with uh, for our guests. When was the last time you felt erased? Ah, when's the last time I felt erased? Interesting. (laughs) It it, it is an interesting uh, space uh, to think about. I mean, I think that uh, oftentimes in the work that I do as a professor... 
uh, you, you feel sort of marginalized because uh, the focus is on the students and serving our students, which I get, and that's where I'm at 100 uh, percent. But sometimes folks don't understand the sort of energy you have to bring. And I'm still black. I'm still dealing with COVID. I'm still dealing with America waking up to the yeah. fact that we have systematic racism. Yeah. Uh, and so oftentimes it's about asking for grace for students. And so sometimes folks don't offer Grace, grace for, you. for us. Yes. And we're like, they're like, why are you so tired? Why haven't you done that yet? And I was like, well, you know, the world is happening to me too. Yeah. <laughs> and so. And that's just <laughs> exacerbated by the complexion of yes. your skin. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that that is sort of one of the spaces that I, I, I sometimes feel erased uh, in a sense that, you know, not being able to bring my whole self. I think people want me to show up uh, more refined and, you know, more uh, more perfect than I am able to be at all times. Yeah, but they don't know Tupac's behind that. <laughs> <laughs> so let's set the foundation for the conversation and get at what is cultural appropriation. Hmm. So I I really struggle with this definition, actually. Um, so the technical, I think, definition is when a dominant culture borrows or steals from another um, culture via pillaging, especially for profit or cool credibility without respect or reverence. But for me, it's, I need to understand it more as cultural exploitation because the appropriation to me, I find myself fighting the urge to give it, give a nod towards appreciation, right? And that whole conversation of, is it cultural appropriation or is it just preference and appreciation? You know what I mean? So I like, I like that the exploitation piece of it gives a nod to the power structure and the harm. Because that is the question I had here. Like, what is and what is not cultural appropriation? Is enjoying food, traditions, or entire cultural appropriation? And dare we even get into hair? Mm. That's a whole nother episode, which we are planning <laughs> to have, indeed. But hair is a realm where cultural appropriation comes into play. Yes. And so, you know, you started off this segment talking about, I don't know if I'm pronouncing her name right, Krug? This woman and, and Dolazol, who mm -hmm. both have, I mean, what are your reactions to that? Yes. <laughs> Stephen, is that cultural <laughs> appropriation? Well, I don't, let me start with saying in terms of looking at the uh, definition, the idea for me uh, in terms of appropriation is the idea of you using it and, and using it as your own, right? Mm -hmm. As another thing to say, I love Pac, I love Pac music, I, I ride with that, I love black culture. That not, is appreciation, right? Right. Uh, but then if you say, when you change it to, I am black culture, I am Pac, I right. am. And, and I think that's sort of the, the evolution that we're looking at here. So appropriation is that sort of line between appreciation and then ownership. And yes. I think, like, for instance, a lot of people have owned the N-word in a way that's made it really popular. I, spent, I, have a, I teach a, Afro, a black flicks class, mm -hmm. and we talked all yesterday. Uh, we looked at Lupe Fiasco's Bad Bitch, right? And so we were talking about the idea of who has the right to use the word bitch, like, and who can co-sign on whether or not it mean, what it means, mm -hmm. right? So if a woman calls a woman a bitch, is that okay? If, uh, you know, if, if a man calls a woman a bitch, is there any situation where that can be okay? Because if right. I say, damn, that's a bad bitch. Am I saying a compliment or am I saying? Right. So to me, it was sort of all in the same question. And it goes to who has the right to own it, like who has the right to determine what it means, right? Uh, and I think in the space of commercial art, 
uh, or spaces where any commercial usage is connected, it's really about exploitation, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, yes, I, I sort of connect to what you were saying. Uh, if people are exploiting the swag yeah. of blackness, uh, then they are appropriating it, right. right? As opposed to if they're enjoying the swag of blackness, which seems to be very popular these days. Right. That's okay. What's the difference? The difference Intent? is, well, the difference is power. Yeah. Power. So if you're saying that I own it, like I'm telling you, my experience as a black filmmaker is often walking to the room, pitching execs to fund pictures that they tell me black people don't like. And I'm like, I'm only a black studies professor, right? <laughs> who, who is a filmmaker, right? And I was like, I can do a case study for you real quick in my classroom and let you know if the black people like it or not. Right. As opposed to you tell, but they feel really confident saying these things, right? right. It's because they own it. They appropriated it. So right. they're the ones who are the purveyors of black culture. And so they're the ones who tell you, nope, you can't do that. That's not black. And that's the reason why we see uh, this coon ass shit out here all the time. Like, that's the reason why we see it. I right. think that's the that's where I think that's the core of uh, of where we are right now is the idea that we don't self-determine right. what's presented for us. Right. But to your point, we don't always have the power to do that. And I love I love what you said earlier about the line and all the many nuances to understand the standing standing this. But how does this then translate to the school environment and how does it show up in the school community for our kids in a way that educators and families can be more mindful of? I mean, to your point, you said you had a discussion about who owns it. Did you did you did you find an answer? <laughs> like what how do what you, is the it? I'm still trying to get at what is the it? Cultural cultural appropriate. Who owns Appro it? Appropriation. Yes. Who, who oh, no, no no, who owns the decision of whether or not it is cultural appro appropriation, man this is a tongue twister, or cultural appreciation. Right. Right. And that's what I was asking before and your answer was it goes it gets down to intent. And how do you determine people's intent to right. be able to say what is what. Right. But and yet still, you know, again, going back to the the school community, just from a very selfish place um, of trying to, you know, raise kids who are aware of what's happening around them. And when they're in these predominantly white institutions and some of this is happening, how do we how do we address it with them? How do we arm them? How do we educate them when there is a nuance and a line? To even understanding and figuring out. And right out. along with that, we've got some educating to do of our school communities because they cultivate these opportunities for these mistakes to happen often, like the international fair where you get to dress up from whatever uh, country that you Halloween want. Halloween coming up. <laughs> that you get to rep whatever country yeah. you want to. And the question becomes, is that appropriation? Is yeah. it not? And the fact that it is even a question means that schools should be considering whether or not to even have these events where the potential for that is so strong. Right. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a question of community, right? That's the thing that I think about a lot, right? And who, which community owns what? And I think you, get, you have to get real specific in terms of what specific cultural item you're referring to, right? So if I'm talking about clothing, uh, then you have to consider like, all right, so in terms of clothing, what makes something black? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and 
oftentimes it's not about ownership or determining what that I how that item came to market. Most of the sweat, most of the stuff that we wear is not stuff that we create, right? Uh, and so with that, it becomes much more difficult to have a conversation when you're talking about a thing that's not even designed by you, but right. you gave it value because the way you wore it and did it. Alcohol is absolutely the biggest example, right? Like Alizé became Alizé because rappers made it Alizé, right? And so the idea Perfect. of like, but but is that our culture when we're taking something and we add our swag to it, right? Is that, does that make it our culture or is that, you know, and that that's the complication it comes to. But there are things, there, there are things that are not so complicated. Uh, the things that are connected to our history are not complicated. Mm-hmm. The things that are, uh, you know, the evolution of minstrelsy, uh, which is something that's completely not self-determined as the uh, in setting up the characters uh, that would define us from from now from then till now. Uh, so from 1830s till present, these same characteristics are what we think of when we think of blackness. That's not self-determined, right? Mm-hmm. So if someone owns that, I don't know if I'm mad about them owning that, right? But then it's sort of like they've owned it and applied it to us, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we have had to deal with it, right? And and so, I don't know. Oftentimes, in the conversations I have with my students, uh, I, I sort of say the answer to the question is: I will give you the rhetorical tools to be able to explore the question. You got to answer it for yourself, because right. the reality is we all have the freedom to sort of choose how we see things, how it impacts us, based off of our lived experiences, based off of our. Uh, the things we've learned. And so the idea is just to give folks the tools to be able to understand the game. Like, you know, when you're looking at a piece of art, it is in part about, you know, what what contextually is it black, right? Does it have black people in it or does it who are racially or culturally black? Uh, does it have a black? Does it have a shared cultural, political historical context that we share that we mm-hmm. can say, oh, that content is black, right? Mm-hmm. But then you also have to look at the the content or the the character of the people who created it, the people who are presenting it, right? The people who financed it, the people who are going to be the audience for it, the stories they're telling, yeah. uh, as well as the big ideas that they're conveying. So what I try to do is give them those tools as a way to be able to analyze it. Uh, and then you'll be able to decide for yourself, like if something is it has a black uh, artist, then is that good enough to make it black for me? Is that authentic? Right. right? right. Or uh, do it have to have uh, a, a black behind the scenes people as well? Do we have black producers? Right. Or uh, do you need to have the money be black? Yeah. Right. Or, yeah. And so that for yourself, then you are able, then I empower you. You're empowered to then decide for yourself yeah. what it means to be yours. What is it to be culturally appropriated? What it means to be appreciate it right you can yeah. decide if something feels centric to you right so let's take it back to my original question and apply what you just said to mm-hmm. these two women that we're talking about <laughs> professor krug and and uh, rachel dolazel is that in your opinion cultural appropriation so it's very uh, with them in particular i don't necessarily feel like it's cultural appropriation uh i, I feel like it's uh fraud i think <laughs> that it's uh, to me like that there, there's legal things that do that sort of define it but it's not necessarily cultural appropriation because uh, the reality is like who decides what is and who is black that has been a big sort of question for me right mm-hmm. i feel like 
really some type of way about them taking blackness, right? But mostly about them taking the advantage of blackness, right? Mm -hmm. To think of all the people that died for the right to get these special classes, right? To be able to sing legally in a certain way where right. you're like, all right, well, because you have done that, we're going to do these things to do right by you. And for someone then to use that to take advantage of that, that's criminal. Yeah. And I think that's problematic. But in terms of us being able to define who they are, like the question to me is like, if I am accepting of the fact of a man uh, is born is born a man and then becomes a woman and I accept that that's their truth, right? And I can allow them to de redefine who they are, then how then can I say a white person cannot then s say that I self -identify am black? Self-identify. Right. Either, and, and, and it's the hard part about being, I think, progressive uh, or conservative in this world. I think that people get caught up in, in these extremes, right? But the truth is you have to stick with your values. And yeah. if your values say people should be able to self-determine, then you, that's it. That's the answer. People right. can self-determine. Or if your values are the no, I get to determine, mm -hmm. right? Uh, I being whoever I am, right, as this authority, right? right. There's these authorities who get to determine, then that's the truth. So for me, I, I wouldn't call it that. I think it's criminal. I think that any advantages they got by using another person's identity, that fraud is most definitely should be punished at the fullest extent of yeah. the law, but not necessarily <laughs> uh, cultural appropriation, though a lot of people would disagree with right, me. Right, yeah. I feel like there are just some strong mental health issues at play. Um, yeah, and I'm just going to leave that there. I do want to go back to, um, you know, this the school piece of it. I feel like there's an opportunity. I feel like every time we hear about I cannot, I cannot, it's a tongue twister for me, cultural appropriation. I feel like whenever it's brought up, it's brought up because, you know, we're feeling someone has taken something, they've exploited something. I feel like it's also an opportunity for us to have a conversation with our children that bolsters their self-esteem, right. like especially our younger children. But I want to talk about that. Okay. Why is it then every time we're harmed, we move towards, it's an opportunity for us to educate our kids and bolster their confidence and all of that. Because I'm going to do that wherever and however as many times as I can. And because, to his point, this is such a nuanced individual experience and understanding of, of what it means. Like, there's no governing body that, that says... Piece, and I'm with you on every opportunity that I can. I'm, I'm educating my kids. But, like, for me, there's a line in the sand. And sometimes... I show up for my kids and I'm like, that's messed up. I'm not saying it's not messed and up. You shouldn't have to deal with that. But I feel like the energy you gave that answer was an immediate kind of like, oh, it's no, no, an no. opportunity. I'm like, well, it is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to point out not only is it messed up, but they want what you ha you naturally have so badly that this is what they're willing to, Amen. to do. But I feel like it's really important to name to ourselves and to our audience that it is okay to also spend time in that place of, and this is messed up. So my, my only, th I'm not disagreeing with you. We're not going down that path <laughs> right now. Um, team Colette, team Lisa, take two. Anyway. Because um, you lost. <sighs> okay, see <laughs> See, now, now we're about to get into Just it. Just say it. But please keep going. No, you made me forget what I was going to say. <sighs> um, off my game. What? what? I think she just won again. Uh, <laughs> I so did, I but I wasn't going to say it no, because you it's did not. You did not. That's what I'm I, here. I'm sorry. I'm just here as a commentator. I have no sides. <laughs> well, what, no. What do you think? Chime <laughs> in. I don't know. I, I, 
It is. It's like the N word, right? A lot of people use that as a way of of swag. They like, oh, I'm going to take it back and I'm mm-hmm. going to make it powerful. And I like almost like in tears. I had this really passionate conversation about why I don't use the N word uh, in public spaces. Yeah. To be clear, to, like I don't use the N word in public spaces. spaces. No, because it's uh, and I don't because yeah. the idea is that I understand. That, that even when I use it in my private spaces, that it is a derivative or a response to this negativity that was put yeah. out there. I was like, even if I take it and make it powerful, I'm still elevating it by taking it, mm-hmm. right? And so that, yes. that, in that way, I'm making it powerful on either side of it. Either I'm railing against it or I'm... And, and that's the thing I think about transformation. If we're looking at transcending things like this, right? transcending these conversations that we always have to go and find a way to empower our kids when they are in places that aren't safe for them, when they're in places that don't center them. I think the idea is like, no, you don't have to take the bad stuff and lift it up and change it around and put candy on it and then eat it. Right. Right. And it's like, I'm eating this crap still, but but I'm eating it because I put candy on it and now it feels better. I was like, no, we got to get beyond that. Transformation is about saying, uh, we are astronauts. That's my new thing. So the new new is like, what's up, astronaut? Are you <laughs> feeling like astronaut that. about to be fly? What? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That, and that is like, I'm saying that's transcendence. Right. Transcendence is not taking the word and like, I'm going to give it a new meeting. Like that's some specials, you know, about that. You really are lifting it still. Yes. That's why Trump got elected. Right. Yeah. I think I just always fall back into the space of what can be done about it. And that, to me, is where it feels really disempowering. And so my my nod to let me use this as an opportunity to make something of it. And I'm trying to put that energy uh, in addition to talking to my kids. I'm trying to put that energy towards putting pressure on institutions and white people mm-hmm. to do the work. No, but, uh, but once again, to knock it off. this is an and, not an either or. Okay, because the reality is that's not going to help my daughter with her self-esteem development. Me pushing to school is not like they have to both happen. (laughs) But me having a conversation with her about all these wonderful examples of how people want what you have. I think that's there's power. I see. I mean, I see that. I see that. I almost definitely think that this moment. And I just won. I think I think that this moment, though, for me, this moment is really about uh, defining community. I mentioned it before, just in, but it's a community is the deal. So you go into these schools and you're like, hey, what's your community like? Yeah. Right. In your community, people say this thing and there's no consequences. Got it. Don't right. like your community. You need to fix that. Yeah. Right. And I think that's the, the game is really about elevating our communities. Exactly. And for me, that's the way I, I like in the same sense that like I feel like I because I'm educated. And I was fortunate, right? I came from circumstances where most people around me weren't educated, right? Mm-hmm. We grew up poor, grew up in Richmond, California, came from Birmingham, Alabama. So I had a, a life that was not necessarily, uh, that, that wouldn't lead most people to UCLA or USC, which is where I ended up, right? right. And so part of the reason why I made it through that uh, was, like I said, the community held me up. My dad was in my life. My dad held me up. My mom held me up. My dad had a plan for me, six years old. I was like, you're going to get a master's degree. And I was like, whatever that is, <laughs> daddy said it, I guess I'm doing it, right? And so, but that that energy, right, that idea, that vision, that community yeah. uh, defined for me what possibilities were. And I think that's the challenge we have. I don't think that folks feel empowered in their community anymore. You think about 
Uh, yes. Whether it's from your household to your schools, to your local governance, to the state governance, to the national governance, I think that we are disconnected from those communities yeah. and for surely not empowered in those communities. When it comes to Black folk, really for me, it, it is not about like educating everybody, but it's just saying that, look, hey, I'm in this community. These are my expectations of our community. Do better. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. Amen Do better. And then I like, I'm going to take care of my kids. You were, and I, I was telling her the other yeah. day, I don't bring my, my kids to a private school for them to teach them about black history. Right. I was like, I'm, I don't, I really, I, I've come there for them to educate and provide those things that they have the capacity to do. I'm right. going to keep my kids grounded in what it means to right. be black. And so I think that you just have different communities for different yes. things. I think that we, Oftentimes, and I totally get my conservative brothers and sisters who like we get caught up in fighting the power so much that we put we throw energy at stuff that don't matter. Right. right? So instead of transcending this issue of I mean, to me, cultural appropriation or cultural appreciation is not that important to me as a black person. Right. The idea is, do I love us? Do I respect what I do? I mean, I love black people like I love. People that people don't, I, mean, I like regular black people. Like I, I'm not I'm not like just into some like bougie black people. I like regular black people. I like people who are, who are loud and <laughs> and like that love to talk crap, to play dominoes really ridiculously, right, right. like aggressive. Like I love that. Like that's to me, I love it. <laughs> and to me, so but I'm saying lifting up, that's how I rather than fighting against uh, you know, say, oh, they took our stuff, man. I don't right. and I think what you were saying earlier is I can better articulate what I was trying to say to you, Lisa, is that like I don't my kids are very clear on why they're in private schools Mm -hmm. and it has nothing to do with their dopeness as black children. They are very clear on that outside of school. So when things go down in school like that, our conversation isn't about lifting them up because this happened. Mm -hmm. They now come home and we're like, ma. This happened. Isn't that dumb? They're trying to be like us. Right. So like the work to me is very separate Mm -hmm. so that in those moments, they're not aligning the two and feeling or cultivating the need to rise up in response, just that it becomes their daily. But it's not even just in response. I want my expectation is and I get you on, you know, sending your kids to private school for that. I think that's the concession we all make as black families. We know that's going to be an area in this day and time. I need that to change. I want that to change. I want my school community, the rainbow of them, to also receive that black history class or to also have this conversation about cultural appropriateness. It shouldn't even be black history class. Mm -mm. Black history should be woven into the history curriculum, just like other cultures. But this whole notion of it's outside of the community. I'm doing everything I can outside of the community to make sure they know X, Y, and Z. That's great. That should never stop for any parent of any complexion at any time. And yet still... I do think we are largely in the climate that we're in because it has been so separated. But that goes back to your point, Stephen, of saying, I'm a member of this community. These are my expectations. Community, community, community. Do better. Right. And if you can't do better, I'm out. Yeah. Like, it's not really that deep. So it really, (laughs) and because we got that freedom, right? That's the upside of not being slaves anymore. I mean, that's the reason a lot of people just don't want to ca- cash in on the fact we free to like right. choose to go somewhere else. Like, if I don't like the way you're talking to me, I don't, right. this community doesn't we value forget me. That, right? So as opposed to me fighting this community, I'm yes. going to be out. Like, thank yeah. you. And, and that's think, that mentality we've spoken to before with other parents on our show of the yeah. whole like, 
Happy to be We're here. We're so grateful yeah. to be here that we won't express our needs. Yeah. And just like you said, and then we won't leave or remember that we have the ability to leave in moments of yep. ridiculousness. Yep. No, I think I think that, the, you know, I, I thank God for my mom. My mom was a fierce advocate. I never forget going and I just moved to California from Alabama. I went into a junior high class. They put me all in the remedial classes. My mom showed up at school at the beginning mm-hmm. of the day and she's like, all right, we need to talk to somebody about fixing this. And they were like, uh, do you want to make an appointment? She's like, no, I'll just wait. <laughs> she waited four hours. <gasps> and at the end of four hours, I got put For all her. into a, a advanced classes. And yep. it was all, and that showed me, that's, in that experience, it showed me what the role of parents are in education. Right? Yeah. The idea is creating community, creating expectations. She expected me to be put in classes that reflected where I was. Right. And she was just like, I'm going to just chill till y'all do it. Go ahead, mama. <laughs> so, that's what I'm talking about. So is there such a thing as reverse cultural appropriation? (laughs) (laughs) Ah, Even the engineer laughed at that one. (laughs) Well? Absolutely not. Why? Uh, Or is there also a thing as intercultural appropriation? Man, none of it. None of it. Okay. None of it. I'll let you answer why. I'm just saying, what's the power? to, To me... What's the power loss? Well, the, no, no, I'm, the idea of appropriation, I think, is... Rooted in power. Rooted in power, right? right? And so it's the idea for someone else to determine what, what it means to be black. That is really what it's about. Right. She is out there teaching people what it means to be black. Yeah. And that's, what, that's the power she has by taking it. Yeah. And I think those are the areas that I completely understand. I get that, that argument. Yeah. But I'm just like, you know, it, it is... Again, for me, I don't know. Like, I hate to dismiss people and dis. But I'm just. I don't know if that's a fight worth fighting. Yeah. It seems like the idea of transcendence right now seems to be the most important in this Black Lives moment for us to do. And I think the idea of transcending means that we can't spend our time fighting against stuff that don't make no sense. Like, I'm not going to spend my energy like fighting because we stuff. can appropriate all we want of white culture and we're still physically black. Right. Unless so, you're passing. Unless you're passing, that's a whole other thing. That's true. See, another thing, that was, but but that to me, the idea of blackness in America is very connected to the idea of whiteness in America and its idea of power, right? Uh, because you know, race is a construct, yeah. right? It's absolutely not a thing. So there's no differentiation really between us and white folk, right? Except for the fact that we have this this melanin. And, and an experience. And we were original man. And it, well, it, and we have an experience that we're the best ever. <laughs> Except for we're, we're astronauts. Awesome. <laughs> astronauts for sure. Yeah, but 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 really, folks, come on now. The, the only there's no difference between us and them. Uh, except for the fact that we live in a country that's constructed this whole reality on yeah. black and whiteness. Yeah. But that's all that all it is is the fact that after one generation, Africans who come here. Come. Feel the feel who come here, the Africans who come here after one generation, the second generation of Africans feel just like black folks do. Right. Because this thing is not right. It's continuing to yeah. perpetuate, uh, you know, white supremacy or or, or white. Uh, what do you call it? White immunity in a lot of areas where black folks are not given immunity. So blackness is the yin to the yang of whiteness. And so I think that's one of the big pieces in terms of like why we get upset so much over appropriation right people are like oh when you t- 
still from when you steal from those poor black people, it's worse. You can't do that. You can't take from poor black people. And I was like, they have culturally appropriated from so many people, so many things. That is how America is built. You get mm -hmm. that, right? America, the melting pot, a.k.a. we thieve things and yeah. we claim it as our own. Right. So that is the U.S. of A. Yeah. You know. So I don't think we're special in that sense, right? Not to like, you know, I love black people, don't even know, but I'm saying that we're not special in a sense. People get stuff stolen from them all the time. Right. But uh, I think that that we have to get ourselves empowered uh, and, and looking at uh, what matters to us, right? What is, what is the next thing for us? Uh, to quote Jay-Z, I think we're off that. Correct. Keep creating so they can want to keep stealing. See, for all, shout out to all my students. See, I told you I didn't completely hate Jay-Z. I gave him a shot. I, I, I Wait, quoted him in his song. didn't completely? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a whole nother conversation. We're not going there. Whole nother conversation. That is a whole nother episode. Okay. You had me at Tupac, but okay. Um, yeah. So is there anything that can be done to remedy cultural appropriation? Put people in jail that steal. But who get okay? Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. And people who commit fraud should go. Yes, I mean, I'm yes. saying the thing is, is that you know, white people just get off easy. Right. A black person like act act like they got a PhD in philosophy. Forget cultural, right? right? And they rocking around. Years. Yeah, I'm saying they're being so under the jail. Yes. It's like, okay. oh yeah, yeah, I'm an expert in Jewish studies. Right? <laughs> right? Can you imagine <laughs> me being an expert in Jewish yeah. study and explaining my history? And and people would be like, bruh. Yeah, there's no way they let you get off with this. And okay. so the reality that she's not in jail and not in any, she's probably writing a book right now right. and like going to further circuit. capitalize yeah. on this thing that she did. That is. Have a documentary you know, like mm -hmm. Rachel. Then a podcast. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's seriously sad. That's So to me, that's the thing. And, and again, like I say, I, I mentioned Trump. I was like, we feed negative energy. And positive energy to people. So yeah. part of it is like I'm off her. Like I'm really am. I'm over it. Yeah. It's not that big a deal to me. She wants to. She wants to love on us. That's fine. But yeah. she should be in jail. Yeah. Because she made money off a of lion. Yeah. And if I made money off a of lion, they find a way to put me in jail. I don't even know how did it come Ooh, out. Look what happened to George Floyd, who they thought made money counterfeit bill off of lying. Yeah. Different world. Different consequences. How so. did it come out? Do you know? I don't, I, don't, I don't know. I think she just Self had a moment right, right. of guilt right. and decided to <laughs> come clean. do what a lot yeah. of people in those positions do, Privileged. which is vomit their privilege yeah. over the world yeah. because they feel safe in doing so. Right. And that's what you're saying, Stephen, is like, and you absolutely are safe in doing so yeah. because... You can. You can. And we all know that if it were different circumstances and a person of color perpetuating the fraud, mm -hmm. then, as you said, under the jail. They would be. Um, taking it back to parents, Halloween yes. is coming up. Yes. And we are still going to be or in no the house. COVID. We're still dressing up. We're dressing up. We're dressing up. I don't care if it's over Zoom or drive-bys. At least my kids are dressing up. How do we help families? Make better decisions so that there are no. Well, let's these. start with the most basic, which people <laughs> no seem, blackface, right? Which people seem to forget and yeah. and act like there's actual room. Yeah, wiggle room. <laughs> wiggle room, exactly. Yeah. Let's start with the basics. No blackface. Yeah. No any face of another culture. Yeah, that requires 
color or accents or anything. You yeah. can put on the full costume. Yes. Without needing to paint on a culture. Right. Right. I, you know, you know me, opportunity <laughs> for communication with your children about race and culture. Can't start early and often enough. Correct. Right? So if little Bobby wants to be a Native American and he's got his, you know, hopes and dreams on having a headdress, I'm going to need you to talk to him about why and what that means. Like, just just don't put it on. But you're, any you're also assuming that people are equipped to recognize that. No, this is why we're having and, this conversation. This and, is why we're having that conversation. Because yeah. I do think this is one of those areas where parents, so busy, just go to Party City, find the first costume they can, and then little Bobby's got it on. And you've never, you've never <laughs> taken the opportunity to even really look at them until you're taking the picture. So, yeah. So, you know, how do we, how do we encourage those parents about the importance of it? And encourage them to have that conversation. Use it as an opportunity. You just like, did. I wonder. I know, I know. I wonder what the the go to costume will be this year. Trump. <laughs> I I love your enthusiasm. But oh, I hear no, a but. No, oh, okay. but. I love your enthusiasm. <laughs> the idea of thinking about costumes to sit in the home is not going to happen in mine. So I, I actually do. You don't have a nine-year-old. Genu- I have a 10-year-old, but I do genuinely love that you have the capacity to do that because I'm not. Yeah. Okay. That's pretty awesome. I, but I still dress up. Okay. She's like, no, don't Let's judge clear. <laughs> No, it's a thing. No, I think costumes, this thing is always interesting. And it really does get to the core of what we talked about today. Mm-hmm. Uh I have a big, big announcement for, for folks listening to this podcast. Ooh, drum roll. We live in a community that don't think like us. So there's probably like 40% of the people in the country who don't even understand what we're talking about. Right. right? And the idea is that it's just fun. That's right, how for them. the current occupant in, of the White House got where he is. We often forget being in these lively, suburban, intellectual areas that the majority of our country it's not. It's not like us. And so to me, that's the thing. I, I, I think that the power of, 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 of MLK, one of my favorite people, so the power of MLK was his ability to articulate uh, a vision to people who were different, had different backgrounds, yeah. Yeah. different beliefs, different, they grew up differently. And I think that that's the problem, I think, with our conversations. Most, mostly we're talking in silos. So mm-hmm. the idea is to understand that, like, though we have evolved to a point where we're thinking about what and what not to put on our bodies, not all of our people have. Right. And we have to ask ourselves, is this fight worth having? And that's what the idea in terms of me, when I think about the idea of yes. cultural appropriation, it's like, all right. If you're making money off of that, if you're not, then, like, you know, we should talk to you. Because especially if you're not a part of my community, right? Right. If you're not a part of my community, then I don't feel responsible necessarily. And that's part of the energy. Like, I I just know that we have limited energy. And yeah. we as black people spend a lot of our energy defending blackness. Yes. <laughs> a lot of our energy promoting blackness. Yep. And, like, we lose out a lot of times on the other stuff that we could be doing with our energy. And transcendence is really true freedom for us is about being astronauts, really. Just really like being the ability like to be above the thing and to make moves based off of what feels good to us right. as opposed to like, you know, the need to get out there and fight the good fight. So, you know, you saw my energy, cultural appropriation, you're like, yeah, you know, put her in jail. That's what I'm about. You know what you're going to leave here and you're going to start seeing some T-shirts. I'm an astronaut. 
<laughs> so someone's going to appropriate that. <laughs> just go ahead and get it. Let's fly, baby. Going to say fly. erased. Oh, erased. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I'm an astronaut. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Well, thank you for taking the time to come in and talk to thank us. Thank you. Thank you. Folks, please tune in next week for our episode about access organizations and the admissions process with some unique guests who will share their opinions as leaders of these organizations and hear from some people who have participated with them. And remember to tune in and please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all other podcast platforms. You can always learn more at erasedpodcast.com. That's erased with a C or on IG or Facebook at Erased Podcast. Please rate and review. We are a new podcast. We are amplifying melanated voices, y'all. We need your support. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.